In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH Evans. Uh, good morning, folks. Welcome. 63 degrees outside and uh, it's supposed to get sunny here pretty quickly. It was earlier. We've got a special edition today. We're going to learn about the Appalachian Children's Coalition. Our guest this morning is Randy Lighty. He's been with us before over the years on other topics. But this has been a topic that's been close to his heart most of his life. This is the party line. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. It's good to see you again. Yes, sir. Let's see here. Let me see. I hear a little hum in the background, Scott. Oh, he's not here. Okay. Anyway, um, let me try something. Oh, okay. Anyway, he, um, Randy is. Um, see, folks, you've you've heard his voice before if you listened to this show over the years, and he was the uh, dean of the College of Health Sciences and um, professions and professions, right? And um, twelve years he did that. You know, I'm I'm kind of curious um, before that. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you you did in your life. Well, I spent my entire uh, professional career in working in higher education. Uh, I spent about uh, 14 years at Ohio State uh, working at one of their regional campuses and uh, moved from there to Bowling Green as a faculty member. Spent about eight years there uh, and, and was hired at Ohio University as an associate dean of the college of what was then health and human services and uh two or three days into my my new job the the dean who hired me told me he was retiring and uh, caught me by surprise mm-hmm. uh to say the least but uh i stepped in as interim dean when he retired and then spent the next 12 years doing that so so i had a long career in higher education uh moving around the state of ohio came to southeast ohio knowing nothing about the region other than that it was hilly. I uh, thought I'd be here a couple of years uh, and ended up spending uh, really the last uh, 14 years of my life now so far here in the region and just really came to appreciate the people and uh, uh, the opportunities and the needs and the challenges, and I'm just uh, thrilled to, to still be here. Not to put you on the spot, but what uh, can you verbalize what your draw to this region is? Well, you know, I think as I spent time here, I I just really came to appreciate uh, there's so many unique uh, features here. And I I don't just mean geographic features. I mean, obviously, it's a beautiful region with the hills and and, and, and nature and everything. But just, um, you know, there's a spirit and a passion among the people here. I think there's a pride among the people here. Uh, I think there's some incredible things that go on in the region that don't off, don't often get recognized or noticed, and uh, it, it just there's a 
uh, a regional sense of community here that I've, I've just really come to appreciate and uh, have enjoyed being a part of it. I also think it's a region that obviously, as we all know, has challenges uh, and, and there are certainly struggles. I think they've been magnified for the last few years that so we've gone through this pandemic and, and um, it's, it's uh, a region where I think there's, there's just a lot of opportunity to make a difference. That's one thing I felt very strongly while I was Dean at Ohio University. We had a chance to immerse our students in situations where, where they could learn some things uh, but also could really make a difference uh, to, to, to the people in our communities. You know, um, Appalachia, um, when you speak of Ohio, um, I think 24 counties are considered part of Appalachia in Athens, I'm sorry, in the state of Ohio. You know, there's 88 counties in in total, but um, that's a significant portion. Yeah, you know, Appalachia. Comp well, by land mass, Appalachia and those counties are 40 percent of the state of Ohio. So wow. it's it's a significant amount. By population, about uh, 25 percent of of Ohio's population lives in the Appalachian region, and and so it is significant. Obviously. Uh, you know, it, it's a big area. It's a broad area, um, uh, and, and I think though too, it's also in some ways a misunderstood area by people who don't live here. And I think that's one of the challenges we have is it's so much a part of our state, but people in other parts of the state, including you know our capital in Columbus, don't really understand uh, or, or appreciate, I think, uh, a, a lot of the conditions and a, and, a, and a lot of the strengths that maybe exist here because it, it's so rural and in some areas of Appalachia, as you know, very isolated and hard to get to. Now, um, I came across a couple statistics regarding Appalachia and um, 207, I'm sorry, in Ohio. The Ohio's portion of Appalachia, 207,000 children. Correct. Um, 96 school districts. Mm -hmm. So like you think of Athens School District, Alexander School District, uh, Trimble, and so on. There's 96 of those. That's, uh, that's really something. Yeah, you know, it really is. And I think it also shows to the degree to which that while we have this big region, um, there's this whole local dimension, that a, a variation across the region. And I've always, I've argued that, you know, you're not going to solve problems or address issues across Appalachia. You've got to be focused in every community because those 96 school districts that you mentioned you know, they're very different from one another and, and they reflect a set of local conditions uh, and a set of local challenges that, that in many communities are very unique. So um, after retiring from Ohio University as its Dean of College of Health Sciences and um, Professions. Professions. By the end of this day, we'll have you, you'll have that name down. Well, I, I sat on one of your boards. Yeah. You're not committees anyway um to um i have no reason why i was ever appointed to that uh, but i 
thoroughly enjoyed it and um, learned so much. Anyway, um, this Appalachian Children's Coalition, um, I, I, I kept trying to dig into information last night to find out when was it first formed and was was unsuccessful but we were talking in the hall before the show it's fairly recent right yeah it's it's actually was uh, formed by a group of people just in march of 2020 really right uh when we were rolling into this pandemic and uh so it's been around just over two years now i i've been involved since january of 21 so uh uh, coming up in a year and a half of that time, but, yes. but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's is still in its infancy in many ways. Well, I could ask you to do this, but I'm just going to read out loud the mission. Okay, our mission is in to improve the health and well-being of our region's children through collective advocacy and strategic investments. We aim for a future where every child has access to the care that they require at home, in school, and in their communities. Powerful, you know? Important. Extremely so. Yeah, you know, the reality is that there are uh, children in this region that don't have access to the care they need, especially behavioral health care. Children who are facing daily traumas and challenges in their life, other children that are in severe behavioral crisis. And I can guarantee you right now, you know, I'm looking out the window of your studio here and I see Route 33 there. I can guarantee you right now there there are children in cars on Route 33 being driven to Columbus or even further away for for support or, Mm -hmm. or, or care that they need. Uh, I can tell you today there are children from our region who are in uh, residential treatment or foster placements as far away as Colorado. Uh, And and the focus of what we do is really trying to bring the resources to the children so that children can stay home, stay in their communities, and and, and receive the care they need uh, as as they face, uh, in some cases, just some incredible challenges in their lives. On your website, there's some um, one-liners that really struck me. Um, Here's one. No child should be made to suffer in silence. Now, you know, one could say, yes, in Appalachia, there's there's some issues, and some, some resources are not available as easily as they are in other places. But you add COVID to it. Holy cow. Um, That makes it uh, tough in places where there are services, you know? Yeah, you know, I think that COVID just has had a huge impact. I don't think we understand the the full extent of that impact on children. If you think about children who were you know, really very isolated from, in many cases, um, uh, you know, a great source of support, their, their schools, you know, their, their, their friends, their teachers, I, I think. And it's not just impacts in terms of maybe learning that didn't occur or, or, or being behind in terms of their learning. I think there's also 
you know, social impacts on children, emotional impacts on children and on parents. I think that mm -hmm. the, the stress of the pandemic uh, made it much more difficult on parents as well. And, and so I, I think that really what we've seen is that um, there are problems and issues that maybe became more invisible uh, because because we all were so isolated uh, from one another and from the world for so long. And, and we're, we're still trying to understand what those are. You know, I've, I've talked to people in schools who have, have told me stories of children who were there when COVID hit and, and everything went remote and they weren't there when, when school came back uh, face to face mm -hmm. and, and nobody knows where those kids went, whether they left the region or something else. Um, it became harder for kids to receive the health care they needed, um, it, you know, in, in, in many areas, we moved to this telehealth model where you, you would talk to your, your providers over video and stuff. But as we know, in many places in Appalachia, there's not access to that broadband for that. So it, it's been a, a profound, uh, a profoundly impactful time for us. And uh, like I say, we're, we're not even close to, I think, understanding the true scope of that. Another one of these powerful statements I saw. Where you live should not determine how you are treated. Uh, there is a certain, what do you want to call it, stigma? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I should say, but Appalachia. There's a, you know, some people say it's beautiful. But there's also a negative thing there. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've seen a lot of that. You know, a lot, a lot of the work that we're doing now is really on building awareness uh, among people in Columbus or Washington uh, about the region. And one thing I do encounter a lot is some very stereotypical thinking. Oh, that it's it's just this rural place that doesn't have resources or whatever. And and you know, I think a lot of what we're trying to do is tell the story about the strengths that are here and, 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 and to just try to, 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 to describe how there are people here who uh, can be very resilient, um, uh, have a lot of possibilities in front of them if, if we can just give them some of the support they need. And, and, and I think, uh, unfortunately, in, in Ohio, there's so much attention to the large urban areas, you know, the three C's, Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and, and, and what's going on there that sometimes our region, you know, gets forgotten about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, and, and as you said earlier, we're talking about over 200,000 kids in our region um, uh, th that do need some supports and that can be very successful and have wonderful lives. I think if they just had the supports they need, uh, you can go to communities in this region and there's absolutely no healthcare available to kids. And, and uh, you know, I, I think many of us as parents would just find that intolerable to think that, that I cannot get my child the care they need where we live. And that, that's the meaning of that phrase that you mentioned, that children pay a price because of where they live, and that shouldn't be the case. You, you mentioned um, Internet access. And um, statistically... Um, well, first of all, the state of Ohio has 11 point, almost 11.7 million people. But according to some studies, 
by experts, of course, about one million Ohioans don't have Internet access at all. That's 8.5%. I can't imagine, you know, going backwards in my life and not having use of that each evening as I'm preparing my for work the next day or or just for personal um, you know I, I whip out my phone every few minutes to research to look up something you know what I mean it's just but eight and a half percent of our Ohioans don't have it right well, and certainly there are counties in the Appalachian region where, where the majority of households in that county don't have access to, to broadband. And, and then many that do, the broadband is not affordable. So, so in effect, they don't have access because they can't afford it. And so what you had in the pandemic across the region, there were, there were places set up where kids would be driven you know, to church parking lots or somewhere where there was a school bus with an internet hotspot, and that's how they access the internet. And as you say, Dave, I mean, most of us wouldn't tolerate that, thinking we'd have to drive somewhere to access the internet uh, as opposed to just having it at our fingertips. And in our world today, um, you know, I think I think the internet today is, is kind of like electricity was in the 1930s. You know, the people that had it, had a, a significantly better quality of life than the people that didn't. And I think that's true with, with uh, Internet access today. The word coalition. Um, you're not a dictionary, but what does that mean to you? Well, to me, it means it means partnership and collaboration. And, and I, I truly believe, and you heard me say this when I was dean of the OU, that you know, we can do some good things but we can do great things with partners. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think the idea of this coalition is we work with uh, child-serving entities. You know, our, our coalition, we don't work with children, even though the word children's in our name. We're not set up to do that. You know, we don't serve those children. The way I think of us is we are a servant to those who serve children, and that's the coalition. We work with, with agencies, ADAM boards, um, um, organizations that are focused on kids, and we try to be a resource to them in whatever way they need. And, and, and a coalition means you don't do just what you do. You do what your partners need you to do. And, and, and it really does define how we operate. Now, um, I, I've had three children who are now grown, married, and they produced eight children <laughs> between them. Congratulations. Yeah, how about that? Three, eight grandchildren. Okay, so uh, I don't remember ever feeling like I didn't have the care they needed as they grew up, uh, whether it be medical, educational, um, mercy, whatever. Is that because I'm not typical? No, I think I think it's because of where you grew you grew up and I think it's because of where you raised your children and what you had access to. The fact is if you can if you go across the Appalachian region, uh there there is just 
a distinct lack of health care providers in all areas. There's a real shortage uh, across the region. Uh, and I think that's true in behavioral health as well. You know, we've, we've documented today, and I don't know that I think we're undercounting this, but our, our best count is that there are seven or 800 unfilled behavioral health positions uh, across the region. And that's social workers, counselors, um, you know, nurses, uh, paraprofessionals. That leaves kids without the services they need. Uh, you know, and I know I grew up in, an, in, in a very urban area, and I would guess when I was growing up, you could drive five minutes from my house and encounter dozens and dozens of healthcare providers, several hospitals. You know, there's, if you think about it, we're, we're talking about the Appalachian region, 32 counties of the state, 40% of the state, and there's not a single children's hospital anywhere in that region. There's six hospi children's hospitals in Ohio, none of them in this this 40% of the state where we are. And, and I think that and, and all the, the physicians and all the caregivers that go with that, there's just this void here. And, uh, and that's what we're trying to deal with, finding a way to bring more services to a region that has that historically been so, so underserved. Well, it, you know, it all comes down to bucks, doesn't it? Dollars. Um, how do you how do you attract people um, without um, unless you can touch them emotionally? And I don't know what I'm trying to say here. You know. Um, these professional workers, these folks trained in the, the skills you're talking about, be, particularly behavioral things, um, you know, they're going to go where the jobs are, right? And uh, some places are m better organized and more, uh, more availabilities. How can the coalition? the Appalachian Children Coalition, which you're now the executive director of. But it's only a few years old. I get it. You've, got, you've made some strides, but you've got a big ways to go, don't you? How, how can you get those people to be interested in a place with fewer opportunities? I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, you are. I, I mean, I think there are a few challenges. You've hit on, on maybe the biggest one, which is, you know, pay. Um, yeah. yeah, the fact is, um, if you're a, a social worker or, or, or a counselor, um, you're probably, it's not a high-paying occupation anyway. And then we know that, in, you know, organizations that are in larger cities are paying more than organizations in, in small areas because they're seeing more clients. Uh, so, so one issue is the pay. But I think there's another issue, and, and that's just uh, helping people to understand and appreciate um, the quality of life they can have in a region like this. And, and you know, you and I sitting here with our gray hair and our wrinkles uh, maybe have a different perspective than, than young people do. But I know with my own children, um, they when they were young adults, their passion was to live in, in cities. And, and um, 
I, I think we have a challenge in terms of helping people understand the quality of life they can have in the region. Another challenge we have is we've not done a, a very good job as a region of growing our own. Uh, you know, when I was at Ohio University, for example, we had, we had the, the university social work program in my college, and I'd say probably 90% of the students in that program came from outside the Appalachian region, and, and their intention when they graduated was to leave the region again. And, and I think we, we have a, um, an opportunity to help some of these people um, learn to appreciate the region in the way they want to stay, and even more importantly, to try to get more people from the region, young people from the region, to, to commit to, to getting an education and staying here. And, and I think that's easier to do when somebody's grown up in the region. Uh, that, that's a lot of what we're doing and trying to build the workforce is building awareness among high school students, college students, even adults that are displaced from jobs that there are opportunities here. And then trying to, to give them some incentives to seek those opportunities. So we, we've talked about things like you know, helping to pay off student loans, for example, in exchange for, for a commitment to work here or mm -hmm. providing scholarships or, or providing organizations with some funding that they can offer sign-on bonuses. I think, you know, um, um, there's a set of things we can do. I think what we need and what our coalition would like to do is be an entity that really is driving that work. Um, right now, everybody's trying to hire workers. Uh, every place trying to hire workers is incredibly busy just trying to do the jobs they're, they're there to do every day, whereas we think we can come in and, and help to build that capacity. We, we, we can take some of this work on for our, our, our coalition partners and say, let, let, let us try to drive some of this work and bring some resources to bear to work with you um, um, so that you don't need to do that on your own. You know, years ago, Renee Glidden, Ann Teske, myself, uh, there were a couple other people too. We came up with this idea of kids on campus. Mm -hmm. And we got it going. And it continues to thrive today. And that was a long time ago. Um... But the thing that was so impressive was many of the kids that got involved, their parents uh, felt very uncomfortable on um, being on campus because of their own backgrounds. And this became a way of easing that tension because they were bringing their kids to and from this event weekdays during the summers. And um, also then the kids were comfortable on campus and so they might tend to wish to have that experience as they became of age to be what a college student. I'm not saying this very well. Anyway, um, but the people that were uncomfortable being here because they felt like, well, my educational level or whatever isn't um, 
I'm Appalachia. Now that's harsh, but you know what I'm getting at? No, I do. You know, and, and, and as you know, while I was dean, I had a chance to to be involved with kids on campus since it was in in our college all those years. And, yes. and I, I can also say there were times that I would talk to incoming freshmen uh, at our orientation programs who would say, you know, my first time on this campus was when I went through kids on campus. And, and they talked about how that experience really put them on the road to mm-hmm. higher education. And, and this is what I think is so important for children today and the work we're trying to do. If, if you can introduce children to adults and and programs that can be resources in their lives you really can change the course of their life and if you you think of a child who is is facing some sort of severe behavioral health challenge and if the way you're going to deal with that child is to say you know you've got to go to toledo to get help and you take that child to toledo now they're away from their family they're away from their school they're away from their community You've done just the opposite of what Kids on Campus does. You know, Kids on Campus is here's a resource for you that you can access here in your life versus you've got to go hundreds of miles away for the resources you need. And, and oh, by the way, to get you there, your parents have to take time off work to get you there. And, and you know, in some cases, parents have to give up custody of children uh, so they can access care. And it's just it's a it's a system that in some ways is the exact opposite of what we know children facing severe issues need. So, Appalachian Children Coalition. It, it's something that, uh, it, really, it's only two years old, right? Yes, yeah. And um, started with no budget, um, didn't have any resources um, lined up or anything. And yet today, did I hear the number fifteen million dollars? Yeah, we've we've generated actually it's a little over sixteen million dollars okay. of, of resources so far. And and what I feel good about is that's resources for the region. So mm-hmm. it, it's money uh, for residential treatment facilities to be built. It's money for for recovery housing. It's it's money for school based health clinics. It's money for telehealth and and it, it it's really bringing resources to the region and bringing them to entities that have projects and a commitment to get those projects done uh, that that directly benefits kids now these sources uh, this 15 I'm sorry 16 million how, how did you go about assembling that in well, only two years. Yeah, it's well, it, really in a variety of ways. So we we've done a lot of we've spent a lot of time in Columbus, talking to members of the legislature, talking to the governor and his staff, agency directors, yes. painting a picture of what the needs are, and and uh, sharing where there's opportunities for investment. And so if if you look, uh, we we helped to facilitate a million dollar state investment. Uh, in in the Muskingum Valley area that will result in telehealth equipment being put in 44 schools. So now children can can see their providers at school. They don't have to be taken out of school for a day for that. Uh, we we've, were able to generate uh, an investment of about $10 million that's 
going to result in the, the construction of two residential treatment facilities for children, one in Nelsonville, one in Chillicothe, uh, that'll bring 44 treatment beds uh, to the region, when right now there is not a single treatment bed in the region. Um, and, and it's a matter of sharing those ideas. Uh, w the fact is, we are at a time right now where we have a, a governor and, and a legislative um, delegation from the Appalachian region that all just have a passion to help kids. And, and uh, I have to acknowledge what the success we've had is because so many people in, in, in our government have been so supportive and, and so focused on wanting to make a difference. And, and uh, whether it be Governor DeWine or you know, uh, any of the representatives and state senators we work with, you know, Jay Edwards and people like that, it, it's just been um, wonderful to have the support. And, and I think what we can do and what we've tried to do is, is help them to know what the ideas are, to give them the ideas and to say, these are the people who can get this done if, if, if you'll just support them. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it, we've had some success at that. We've also, uh, we, we try to work with organizations and, and be a strong partner to them. So we work with organizations on grant proposals. Uh, we, we, we bring organizations together to try to look at collaborative solutions. And, and really, I think it's a whole variety of things that we, that we try to do that make a difference. There's not a one size fits all solution. And, and, and so we, we, we have our fingers in a, in a lot of different pies uh, trying, trying to get investment in this region. Well, the, um, I can't, uh, it, 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 why hasn't this happened earlier? <laughs> I, um, and I don't, I'm not talking about this particular organization, but these goals. Why, why, why couldn't it have happened before? Well, I I think you know the goals are there, but but the reality is, all these organizations that are working with kids, I mean, they're just trying to get through the day, meeting the demands that they have. You know, you've got organizations that are providing um, behavioral health services or, or counseling or therapies to kids and it's all they can do to, to, to meet the needs of their client populations and really what I think we've tried to do is say look we're an organization we don't have any skin in the game right we're, we don't need to you know be focused on how do we spend our day dealing with with kids and their issues we we can say let us step back and be be the the, the capacity builder so you can do the job that, that you need to do and I, and I think it's you know it's like so many other things people have known that the need is here you just needed a few people uh, with the interest and the commitment to try to drive it to that and, and I'll say this this coalition I wasn't involved when it got started I came on board about nine months later but but the people who organized it you know Zach Space who who's a, a formerly in Congress from the region uh, Tom Davis who I know you know is a, a you know really built the counseling education program at Ohio University we have two former governors governors Taft and Strickland that have been involved uh, uh, Robin Burrow, who's a principal in Meigs County, uh, Leanne Johnson, who's, whose husband Bill is in Congress and a great mental health advocate. A bunch of people came together and said, we are going to try to drive this idea. 
they got it off the ground and uh, um, uh, I, I just think the timing was right and, and the need was there and, and, and you had people who finally said we're going to try to get it done so a lot has happened in the first two years um, or would you disagree with that uh, no, I think it has. I mean, I, I feel, and again, my, my perspective is from January of 2021, the last year and a half that I got involved. But, yeah. you know, I, I think of the organization as, as, you know, it was born in March of 20. Um, when I got involved, it, it was still an infant. Uh, you know, it, could, it really wasn't in a position it could stand on its own. I think we've grown now. Uh, to the point that uh, we have some stability. And, and really what we've done is we've grown into an identity. I think we've figured out what we can be and where we can bring value. I, I go across the region talking to people and, and what I keep hearing over and over is people saying, yes, we have needs. Yes, you can help us as a partner and you can try to make a difference. And so I feel like we've had great growth. Now that said, Dave, I'd say that growth, we're about 20% of the way there to where we need to get to. There's still a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, I, I think over the next uh, five or 10 years, uh, the work we can do can be incredible. And, and we've got a great start. Uh, I, I am absolutely thrilled that we brought $16 million of investment to the region. I'm thrilled that Almost all of that has flowed to other organizations, not to us, to, mm -hmm. to do work they can do. But I also know that there are still hundreds and hundreds of unfilled jobs. There are still places without services. And, and uh, the minute we start to rest on our laurels, uh, we're going to fail. So we got to stay forward looking and thinking about where the next opportunities are. All right. Now, what you've done in this short period of time is remarkable. You know, by you, I'm talking about the the entire organization, the coalition. Um, now, there, but there is significant opportunities to grow, right? I mean, funding sources. You hear about this grant and that grant and, you know, all these different things, um, you know, legislative monies. Um, there's still plenty of room to grow, right? There's huge room to grow. Uh, there, there's still communities in our region that lack health care services. We have to find a way to bring those services uh, to those communities, and, and it is not going to be uh, in most cases, building traditional, you know, practices and offices is going to take creativity. You know, that's why I get excited about, you know, the work we're doing to try to promote school health clinics and things like that. Um, I think, you know, there continue to be uh, hundreds of unfilled jobs in the region. I, you know, and there's also um, kids who need foster care. There's not foster care placements. I, I was in a community uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that the dad was there, they had 127 kids, I think they said, that needed foster care placements, uh, and they had 17 approved placement sites. Uh, that That's the kind of issue that we can address, I think, is, is helping uh, to fill those gaps and those needs. And, and again, 
you know, the people providing foster care, they don't have time to find a long-term solution. They're just trying every day to get kids placed. And, and uh, if we can come in and help define those solutions and build those resources, that's what that's where the great opportunity is. If we can get to the point that someday you and I, and we got to hurry because again, you and I have gray hair and we're older, but that we can look across our region and find kids in our region have the same access to the services they need that, that kids in Dayton or Columbus or, or Toledo have, you know, th then our coalition has done its job. Okay, so what if someone personally wanted to support your organization? Is Besides uh, trying to attract um, a grant or some sort of whatever, whatever you call those things, um, if someone is listening to this show or or learns about you, how can they participate? So I think there are two great ways they can participate. And, and as I mentioned, we, we've brought a lot of investment to the region, but we don't bring it to ourselves. We bring it to partners. So, so obviously, as a, as a nonprofit organization focused on building others' capacity, um, there are financial challenges we have, so there's an opportunity to support us financially. If, if, if you were to go to our website, uh, which is www.appalachianchildrencoalition.org, and that's Appalachian children, not children's, <laughs> appalachianchildrencoalition.org, uh, there, there is a link that, that pops up uh, when you go there that, that offers an opportunity if, if you would like to support us financially. Um, but then also, uh, we benefit from uh, having the knowledge of others. And, and if you're somebody who has some interest in some knowledge about kids or maybe just interest in helping kids, um, we'd love to have you get involved and, and find ways to get you connected with, with, with organizations. And again, you can go to the website, www.appalachianchildrencoalition.org, and there's an opportunity to express interest in that. Um, you know, we, we, we are committed to, to being a very small, nimble organization. We don't want to get to the point that everything we're bringing in is for us. We, we, we want to do other focused work and, and having supporters um, uh, uh, lets us do that. So, so yeah, we, we are just thrilled every time somebody uh, um, offers us a little support and that lets us continue to do the work we're trying to do. I saw a blurb on your website about, well, let's see here. It says, in 2017, Appalachian counties had an opioid over, overdose death rate of 72% higher than non-Appalachian counties. Um, you know, we think of Appalachia as being... Um, how do you want to put it? Lower pay, more, um, less financial ability, right? Now, um, I've always heard drugs were expensive. Um, so money is being misspent, perhaps. Uh, how do, you know, I don't, I've never had an issue with drugs. I'm not even sure I've known someone with issue with drugs. I don't understand it, but 
Appalachia has so many negative things printed about it. So it's no wonder we have this stigma of, of um, and yet, you know, I moved here from Honolulu in 1973. This is such an important place to me. It has become, I'm so proud of being from Athens, not from Athens, but being an Athenian. Uh, I was raised in Worthington, Columbus, lived in many big cities, a couple of small ones too. But I dig Athens so much. I don't want to move. Yeah, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, and again, I, I think, you know, the, the opiate crisis and, and, and other drug use has been so profound in our region. I think there's a, a set of factors that maybe underlie that pattern. Um, that's probably a topic for a whole nother show. But, yeah. you know, the thing that really strikes me is what we often forget about when you think about something like a, a, a drug overdose. We think about that in relation to the person who's overdosed, right? And however we deal with them, whether it be we get them to the emergency room or, or we, we put them in jail or whatever, what we don't think about is all the other people affected by that overdose. Mm-hmm. You know, and those people with kids, you know, those kids are affected. Um, if, if the person goes into treatment or if the person goes into jail, somebody's got to care for those kids. So that now means grandparents are affected. And, and I think the challenge we have is all the people who are impacted in such profound ways, uh, beyond the person with with the drug problem right and and we haven't had the attention or the resources for for all of those people as well you know there are hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of grandparents trying to raise their grandchildren uh, because their own children are struggling with drug abuse or other or other problems in their lives and those grandparents are having to do that without the supports they need. You know, they, 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 they've taken these kids on. They have to figure out how to manage raising children with their own jobs or their own commitments. Um, they, they, they may not have the financial resources. Uh, you know, those kids are struggling with family disruption. And, and I just, I think there's a family level set of issues that we also need to address for the people who are impacted by, 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 um, uh, the drug struggles of an individual. Okay, so Appalachian Children Coalition dot org. Uh, folks, you can read a lot more about it there. Um, if someone has a need for some of these services that you folks hope to improve, can they telephone or email or something in? get pointed into some direction? Yeah, we're happy to help with that. And certainly in many communities, there, there are resources, hotlines and, and things like that. But if, if we can be a, a help in getting people connected, uh, we, we do have an email address. It's, it's info, I-N-F-O, at AppalachianChildrenCoalition.org. Um, we also have, you know, phone number and everything on the website. And, and if you just want to know where to turn for something, yeah, we – let us know, and we'll help you get connected with, with uh, uh, the right organizations or, or sources of support. 
Randy, in these last two minutes, uh, I, as I re, as I've gotten to know you and, and occasionally have read a bio or something about you, there's a word that pops out often, and it's a it's a topic you have studied um, more than the average person. It's fatherhood. Um, and you, you, why did that become a focus for you? Well, for me, I, I think it's uh, in my own life, just as a child appreciating the role of a father. I mean, I, I know you have uh, had a father who really set the course of your life in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience, uh, my father, uh, my biological father divorced my mother when I was very young. I spent several years without a father. My mother remarried uh, to a wonderful man who adopted me. And, and so I really came to appreciate the importance of a father in a child's life. Um, as, as I reached adulthood and I, I began my academic career, uh, I just spent a lot of time thinking about um, to the degree to which children benefit from fatherhood and thought there's there's got to be a way to understand patterns you know why do some fathers disappear from their children's lives and other fathers remain a presence and and uh you know that really did end up becoming a focus for me um um, i don't know my kids might say they wish i'd learned a bit more (laughs) about fatherhood (laughs) than, than, than than maybe i sometimes showed but but i i just think you cannot underestimate the value of of strong parenting for children and i don't think you solve children's problems without dealing with with their family environment and and i think you know we all value and understand the importance of mothers you know maybe it's a little bit harder to understand the importance of fathers but but they're critical well let's see here i guess we got about 15 seconds listen it's always a pleasure to have you here please feel free to to Call me and say, let's do some more. And um, keep the Appalachian Children Coalition going and going stronger and stronger, okay? Great, yeah, will do. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. W-A-T-H-F-N's. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. We have breaking news from Minneapolis. A former police officer has pleaded guilty to a state charge of aiding and abetting second-degree murder in George Floyd's death. As part of this morning's plea deal, former cop Thomas Lane will plead guilty to aiding and abetting manslaughter, with prosecutors dropping a similar charge of unintentional murder. Former officers J. Alexander King and Toe Tau are facing state charges as well. All three have already been convicted on federal counts of violating Floyd's civil rights. Former officer Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder last year and pleaded guilty to federal civil rights violations. He was sentenced to 22 and a half years in prison in the state case. Steve Simpson for CBS News, Minneapolis. A landmark agreement in women's soccer. It's truly historic moment. U.S. soccer president Cindy Parlow on the deal that will ensure women and men national players will make the same amount. This deal is going to have ramifications throughout the entire world. You know, it's game-changing moment here in the U.S., but it has the potential to change how international soccer and international